Join the conversation in Tipperary. Contact us through Facebook, Twitter or email tiptoday at tipfm.com. And you're very welcome back to uh, Tip Today, 1800-938-007. Legal discussion on Tip Today is brought to you in association with Lynch Solicitors Clan Mel on the web at lynchsolicitors.ie and at divorceinireland.com. And Gillian O'Mahony from Lynch Solicitors joins me in studio. Good morning to you, Gillian. Good morning, Fran. Uh, lots in the media at the moment about false and exaggerated cases. And again, indeed, at the weekend, we had a report of another case. Uh, in the Maria Bailey case, she indicated in her interview on National Radio that her court papers were preliminary papers only. Could you explain to listeners what documents are filed in court when you, when you bring a case for the first time? I can indeed. So every case, first of all, it has to go through what's called the Personal Injuries Assessment Board. And when you come out of the Personal Injuries Assessment Board, either because they haven't assessed it or they have assessed it at a level that's too low and not accepted, you get an authorisation, which then entitles you to bring proceedings. So that's when your legal proceedings start. You issue your personal injury summons in the circuit court or the high court. Circuit court, as we will have heard from the media last week, is if your claim is worth at its, at its maximum 60,000. You issue high court papers then if it's over 60,000. So you issue what's called a personal injury summons and your personal injury summons sets out various sets of details which each document must com- contain. You include obviously personal details. You also have to include what what you are alleging the defendants did, so what their acts of negligence were. So let's say it was a case against your employer. Are you alleging that it was an unsafe system of work, an unsafe place of work, unsafe equipment? If it was a road traffic accident, are you alleging that somebody drove too fast, that they failed to um, stop or they drove into the back of you, etc.? So that's where you set out your particulars of negligence. You then have to go on to set out what are called your particulars of injury. So you set out exactly what injury you sustained and how it's affected you. So that's a very, very serious document. It's um, it's a court document. It's personal injury summons. You pay your stamp duty and it's issued in the court. And not only do you issue this document, you also file and swear what's called an affidavit of verification. So that affidavit of verification is a document in which you say all of the information in your personal injury summons is absolutely correct. And you're essentially saying it's the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. But by her own admission, she said that this was some sort of preliminary document and that some of the information contained in it were inaccurate, but she felt she could correct that along the way. Does, does that make any sense? No, but to me it doesn't. No, no. So your personal injury summons has to be absolutely correct. And not only that, you're swearing an affidavit on oath in the right. presence of a commissioner for oaths or an independent solicitor, essentially saying that this is the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. And it's you're also in that document saying it's an offence. You're acknowledging it's an offence to to have something incorrect. But what about, I mean, memory can be imperfect. So if you come back and say, listen, I got that one wrong there. Is, Is there precedent for that? Well, I mean, you're, it's it's a court document and you're saying that everything is the truth. And unless you're absolutely sure, it shouldn't be going in there. In the first place. Mm-hmm, absolutely, yes. And a lot of the time, I suppose, if you have a contested case, you may have an engineer's report at this stage. So you'll be relying on your engineer as well as to what the particulars of negligence are. But in your narrative of the accident, you know, that's 
it's very important you get it right. So, I mean, are there laws to combat false or exaggerated claims? Yes, absolutely. We have an act which was brought in over 15 years ago, it's the 2004 Civil Liability and Courts Act. And that has, I suppose, it's a big long act, but there are two relevant sections in it. Section 25 sets states that it's an offence for a plaintiff so a plaintiff is the person bringing a case it's a, it's an offence, so a criminal offence to knowingly give evidence which is false or misleading and then section 26 is um, it empowers the court to dismiss proceedings if somebody has given false or misleading evidence so that is what we would regularly hear about where a defendant would make an application, what's called a section 26 application to the court to dismiss the case because a plaintiff may have given false or misleading information Right. So what about examples then of cases that are dismissed on the grounds of whatever it is, false, exaggerated claims, Mm. that kind of thing? I suppose a lot of the times they may include, for example, I mentioned the personal injury summons. So in that document, somebody has set out their case and they may in that document say that they are unable to work. They are unable to work um, because of that, because of their accident or because of the injury sustained. I mean, that's a very, that's a very serious you have to be absolutely sure, you know, when you're making yeah, that case. Sure. So insurance companies would perhaps use a PI, a private investigator. They troll through people's Facebooks accounts and they, you know, if they if they find evidence that somebody is continuing to work, well, that would be grounds for making an application, 26 application. Now, after your personal injury summons and after your affidavit of verification, the insurer, the defendants would also raise a series of questions in, in what's called a notice for particulars. And one of the questions in that document is, have you previously brought any other claims? And if you have, you have to set out the details of those claims. Another question is, have you had any injuries which would be in some way connected or related, previous injuries either prior to the accident or subsequent to the accident, which would be somewhat related to the injuries now complained of. So it's very important you get those answers right as well. Mm. Um, what we would always do is before people, clients would answer those questions, we would make sure that we had their medical records and had gone through their medical records. And that's very important if, if your injury is a back injury, because you may say, no, I've never had an injury. But we do find a lot of people may have gone into their GP a number of years previously on something totally unrelated and may have said, oh, my back is sore because maybe they painted the house the day before or they may have washed the windows. And that isn't a problem. But it's a problem if you say you've never had a back injury or your your back history is clear. Um, So if, for example, somebody didn't disclose a previous claim or didn't disclose a previous similar injury, that would be another ground for... for I didn't realise that a previous claim was admissible. There are certain questions that they're entitled to ask and you have to give information. It's a section, it's section 11 questions. They are entitled to ask whether you've had previous um, right. previous claims. And if, you're, if it's seen that you're a, a serial claimant, uh, does that... It doesn't assist a plaintiff, no. No? No. Okay, no. so it could be taken into account in some way. Well, I mean, the court in credibility, yes, the court, the court, you know, the court does get that information and no doubt the defendants will make much of it if somebody has brought four, five, six claims. Right, that's previously. very interesting because, of course, there are people who have done that, but I didn't think it could be discussed. You may be thinking of a criminal case, so perhaps when somebody is before the court on a criminal trial, previous offences cannot cannot be disclosed to the court until the court has determined or the jury has determined and given a verdict. Right. 
But that's not the case with No, no. Previous offences then only become known to the court in a criminal trial when it's handing down its sentence. Very interesting. So the sanctions then for false or exaggerated claims... So if it's if it's an if it's a section 26 application where the proceedings are simply dismissed that's one thing but if it's an offence so if the insurance company decide to go further and decide that they want the matter referred to the DPP or the guards for investigation the court does have the power to impose a fine then so this is at a criminal hearing fines up to up to 100,000 euro and imprisonment up to 10 years now there has been very very few of those cases ever brought to Typically, I suppose insurance companies, if they get the case dismissed, um, they've obviously saved on the payout, etc. They they may not press to go further. And do the Gardaí have the resources to be to undertaking, to fund yeah. it, to investigate and prosecute claims? Now, I am aware that there was one. And in that case, the plaintiff got a suspended sentence. And in that case, it was... Um, it was a back injury. It was going back to 2013. There may have been more since, but there was one in 2013, a back injury. And this person then was obviously spotted on Facebook doing martial arts and cage fighting. Wow. Their case was obviously dismissed and they were prosecuted and they got a suspended sentence. It strikes me, um, Gillian, I wonder would you agree with me, that the Maria Bailey case is sort of... Um, pivotal in in a change in terms of how we look at personal injuries. Would you go so far as to say that? Well, I suppose it's it's made people more aware, perhaps, and it's highlighted, you know, it's highlighted a lot, lot yeah. of issues. Now, I know there's a, an internal investigation. Sure, yeah. And I know that was in the media this morning. But there's just so much talk about it now. And, of course, the whole business of, you know, what we're paying in insurance premiums and all of that sort of thing is coming up too. Mm-hmm. You know? Absolutely. But I suppose it's important that people, you know, people, genuine plaintiffs who have genuine cases and who are genuinely injured, that they should not be deterred from like this, yeah. bringing a claim which where they're entitled to compensation. Yeah, who I really feel sorry for are poor devils out there who might have neck injury or whip genuine whiplash Absolutely. injury because it's seen now to be a complete Absolutely. Well, you know. there's a suggestion and um, you know that it's socially unacceptable yeah. now nearly to bring a claim but that's not the case and that's not what should be you know should be articulated by the insurance companies and that you know so anybody who genuine plaintiffs with genuine cases who are genuinely injured they should not be deterred from bringing cases right because whiplash can be a very debilitating absolutely absolutely yeah, yeah. absolutely very interesting indeed so and and have you come across a, a criminal prosecution yourself no it? thankfully no. not <laughs> <laughs> all right Gillian it's always a pleasure thanks thanks Thank very you, much Fran. indeed Gillian O'Mahony there of Lynch Solicitors